We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. Today, I am joined by Jack Mudd. He previously served as the system's senior vice president of mission leadership, and prior to that, he was both a lawyer and private practice and dean at the University of Montana School of Law. Today, we're talking about serving at the executive table and what skills leaders can strengthen to enhance our whole person selves. Okay, let's get started by welcoming Jack. You know, all the time when I have uh, been with leaders like yourself, there is this notion of just how they got started, uh, how they walked into their calling. Could you share a little bit of how you began your ministry within Catholic Healthcare, Jack, this sure. morning? Well, I, I had a z- zigzag path. Um, I, I, when I finished uh, college uh, and majored in philosophy, I taught philosophy for a short time, then went in the army and then the law school and then law practice and then went back to be dean and then practice again. And then um, I was on the board of uh, St. Pat's in Missoula, Montana, which is where we raised our family. And the, the sisters, uh, when they created the uh, uh, Providence services on the uh, east side of the Providence family. Uh, they asked if I would be on the board of that. And uh, one thing led to another, and the the CEO asked if I would leave the board and become an employee to uh, basically start leadership development, we called it then. Today, we would call it formation. Uh, that was uh, in 2000. So I've been, uh, did it for uh, 20 years uh, or so after that and uh, retired fairly recently. One of the parts of your story that is so striking is that St. Pat's. I believe that they're about to celebrate a very significant year uh, of their ministry. Could you let us know a little bit about that place and how impactful it has been to the community? Well, St. Pat's is, I think, still the oldest continuing ministry in the Providence family. started in uh, what was uh, originally a chicken coop or an animal shelter. Uh, sisters cleaned it out and started there. Um, St. Pat's really serves all of Western Montana. It is the, it is the hospital for Western Montana. So um, my venture into healthcare was just to be on the board of that uh, way back when things were a lot simpler back then. <laughs> I know in simplicity and our own philosophical training, it, it probably doesn't exist anymore. And, and we're, <laughs> simplicity we're does not exist anymore. Yeah. For sure. and, and, and just as your article that was wonderful that I was able to read this morning uh, in Health Progress really helps us to understand the importance of language. Uh, the language that you and I might feel comfortable having worked in Catholic healthcare for a number of years, but how we might invite others into that. I wonder if you could share a little bit just how we might be a hospitable place, especially to those who are of diverse faiths or none, 
at this period of Catholic healthcare in the extraordinary times. Right. I, in, in wrestling with this for years, it, uh, the sisters were always welcoming. Um, it was never about taking care of Catholics. It was always about taking care of the vulnerable in, in the communities that they served. So th that tradition is deep. And they involved uh, early on uh, uh, other people of other faiths and people without any particular faith. I think that is our reality. And so what, what I've come to understand, I think, and in, in, in that little article that uh, we wrote, um, what's necessary is mutual respect. So that if you come from a different faith tradition, and most of our people do, most of our people who serve in the ministry, including most of our leaders, uh, do not uh, share our Catholic faith, but are wonderful people and come from this at a humanitarian aspect or from their own faith tradition, and, uh, and so we want to welcome them. And what we, uh, what we need is uh, make sure that everybody who serves in the ministry uh, agrees with the values, signs on to the values, treats people with respect and integrity and so on. Um, uh, but we, we do not want to have any proselytizing or trying to convince them to join the Catholic faith. And at the same time, they also have to respect that they've signed up for a Catholic organization. And there are certain practices and customs that we have that they need to respect. I think that mutual respect is the foundation of where we go. I really loved how you described this walking into a house, maybe in a different culture, uh, having been uh, in a visionary piece of my life in Nairobi, Kenya, I can remember working with people dying of HIV and AIDS and walking into their home as they passed and them offering me tea. And all of the things in my American white male thing said, don't drink that tea. Right. And, and I did. And it, it let me into their lives as they passed. What is it about our own home that we might share that home of a Catholic ministry with folks that doesn't make them feel we're here just to proselytize them? Well, I think that it, uh, your, your example, I think, is, uh, is exactly what we need to do, that when people come in, um, they have to understand that they're walking into a, perhaps a home that's different from theirs, that has different culture, different customs, different practices. And to be effective and, and to serve in that home, they need to um, participate, for example, in formation or uh, having reflections before, uh, before meetings. And if we do that in a way that is, that is not... Um, exclusive, that if the words we use and, and we explain these practices, um, they all have uh, humanitarian versions of them. They're not something that's just weird. Uh, but we have, we have the responsibility to explain those in a way that is understandable and welcoming. And certainly over the years in formation, we've developed ways of doing that. And, and, uh, and we just need to keep, keep doing that because our reality is, uh, is not going to change. We're going to be all in this together and we come from diverse backgrounds and we need to understand those backgrounds and respect them. I really appreciate this sense of not uh, being weird. Uh, we live in an age and your second point has a lot to do with this secular age, right? How can we work with it? Uh, we had just launched a, a previous podcast with Father Greg Boyle, who founded Homeboys. And uh, yesterday, Kim Kardashian was texting about him. And I have to say, we might not completely be aligned, the Kardashian family, but I do appreciate that she's giving notice to those on the margins. And I just wonder if you could help us to understand how do we live almost in two worlds? 
uh, when at times we see the need to get the voice of the poor out there, but then also say, we don't always believe in some of the things that might be carrying that voice. That's right. I, I think um, I like to think of it as a humanitarian tradition um, that if, if you don't share a humanitarian outlook or humanitarian values, then you probably don't belong, at least in Catholic healthcare. And I would argue you don't belong probably in any healthcare. Um, all of the uh, professional requirements of our clinicians, for example, all have a humanitarian part to their ethics. Uh, and, and people, uh, uh, like you mentioned, the Kardashians, um, if, if they want to help, and the sisters were very good, if you want to help, that's fine. If you want, but um, so we, we welcome people who share those. And that's why I think the focusing on the values is so important. If you, if you have a value of respect and, and excellence and compassion, then uh, we welcome you. Mm -hmm. If those are not your values, then probably this isn't a good place. And we are not asking what, your, what the root of your values are. <laughs> we're not asking that, uh, that everything else that you do be compatible, but we're, we're saying that uh, we'll, we welcome people who share those values and who uh, want to spread them, and including serving the, those who are poor and vulnerable. This notion of welcome is so key and the sisters gave us that and you have had such an experience at the executive table some of us who are trying to learn the acumen of that table uh, need some time to know what to say uh, when to say it and how to say it are there some skills you could share with us that would be helpful to us who are developing our acumen at the executive table especially as we emerge from a pandemic where we all sat at home and we zoomed in our pajamas, maybe, but I'm not saying <laughs> you and I are not doing that today. No, you know, I, I, the more I've thought about this and, and uh, worked with some very fine leaders, which is how we basically learn from learn about leadership. A, we make mistakes. I made a ton of mistakes in leadership roles and people were kind enough to uh, point those out and, and help me uh, develop when I was a young leader and still today. Um, I, I think probably one of the most important things that any young leader can have is, is a, a self-awareness and two, listening. Uh, we have to understand how we come across. We need feedback on that, particularly as a young leader. Uh, people don't intend to be offensive <laughs> uh, or to use the wrong words, um, but sometimes we do. Our, our own patterns, our own practices may get in the way of being an effective leader. So self-awareness is absolutely foundational. And then, uh, and then I think an additional part of that is really just watching leaders. Um, I'm, I'm a reader. Um, and I, when I started to teach leadership, um, I had to read a ton. And I found that much like books on good parenting or other kinds of things, that the good books all say the same thing. They just come at it from different angles. But if reading is a way of uh, learning from others, that's fine. Watching people, watching good leaders. But if you don't start with self-awareness as a foundation, then it's easy for things to get off track. So I would say that that's the most important thing. Um, watch yourself and listen to other people. Uh, one of the challenges we're finding is how do you describe uh, leadership when there are parts of being a leader in Catholic healthcare that may be uncomfortable? such as coming to a mass. Mm -hmm. uh, are there ways that over the years you have seen uh, really practical 
kind of convening of how to teach about these rituals, these things that for some might be weird or uncomfortable, but how could we make people feel welcome, say, at a mass? Well, I, I think that um, with all of these, what I would call the, the, uh, the Catholic words and the Catholic practices, um, what I've found helpful is to uh, try to find counterparts to other experiences that people have had. Those may be religious experiences. They may be civil experiences. Um, we live in Spokane, Washington, and you can't live in Spokane without being a Gonzaga basketball fan. <laughs> and, uh, and occasionally we get to go to Gonzaga basketball games. Well, there is a liturgy there, <laughs> a set of practices that the students and the, and the fans engage in um, that bring people together and support the team. Uh, th there's a parallel here that um, the Catholic Mass is not a basketball game, but it does bring people together. And if we, on that one in particular, if we just explain what the what the symbol is around a meal, certain prayers, certain activities. Um, and we're not trying to make people Catholic uh, if they attend a Catholic mass. Um, I've attended ceremonies, uh, liturgies of a variety of religious traditions. Mm -hmm. I came away in every case with a greater appreciation of what that tradition is, having experienced them. So what we hope people come to a Catholic ministry uh, with a, an, an openness. I need to respect this community that I am now a part of. They're not asking me to join it. They're asking for their my understanding and my respect. And I think if we make that very clear, and then we try to explain as best we can using examples from their own experience, mm. to me, that's that, that has been helpful. I really appreciate this notion of explanation from my own lived experience, rather than, as you talk about in the article two, proselytizing is not why we're here, or right. that aspect of I'm going to be converting you. But we're sharing our lived experiences, right. and this is one of ours that help us. The, right. that, 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 could you help us understand that? Like Because the lived experience is the truth, right? Right. Well, I think if we that's why I, I think it's important to start with the values. We, anybody who's working in Catholic healthcare must share those values. Now, they may come at from them from a different standpoint. For example, if I, if, if I am a Buddhist, uh, compassion is a big deal to me. That's the word I'm going to use. If I'm a Christian, I also use the word compassion, but I'm going to use the word love. That's a big Christian word. Um, so if we try to understand by using stories and examples from other cultures, I think it helps reinforce the notion that we're not here to impose a culture. We're here to try to help you understand that you have asked to be part of and, and to incorporate that in your own experience. Um, I did work for, uh, uh, for the Mormon church in my former life as a lawyer. They brought me down to Salt Lake. They gave me a big orientation into their culture, their practices, because I needed to do, I needed to understand that to do my work. Mm -hmm. I found it enriching. I'm not a Mormon. I have no intention of being a Mormon, but I came away with a great respect 
for aspects of their culture. I really believe what you're helping us to understand is our own judgments too, that are maybe not uh, reflective or, or spent a lot of time because we've just seen them on the news or we saw a Netflix episode. Uh, you help us dig deeper about what are we believing. And I appreciate educational institutions that are there to serve us in that way. You mentioned right. Gonzaga. Uh, I know the institutions I've been a part of in my own formation, it wasn't about having a Jewish professor become Catholic. It was helping the Jewish professor be the best Jewish human. It, that I think is a notion that sometimes gets lost in the secular kind of media. Exactly. And and the notion is that if I if I share a, a religious belief, Jewish, Buddhist, Catholic, uh, whatever, that somehow I'm I'm odd. <laughs> yeah. But we what we do share, and that's why I like to start with the humanitarian notion. That's the that's the human family, mm -hmm. and uh, and and a good humanitarian, regardless of of what motivates them in that direction, are are going to share values together. And uh, and so if we start with what we share rather than what may be different, I look at it this way. You, for example, Catholic social teaching. Well, the Catholic social tradition is the Catholic dialect of a humanitarian tradition. Now, there are some aspects to that tradition, the Catholic version of it, that are unique and that we uh, we, th we think are helpful, just like there are versions of that in the Buddhist tradition that are different. And so understanding that we, that we come from a common root, humanity, and, and then we have different dialects within that is, to me, a helpful way of emphasizing what we share, just like we share our DNA. Yes. Uh, but we all are unique. And understanding that uniqueness enriches the community that we're trying to form. And we are all human beings on a journey. And how might this odd extra ministry, as they say, in Catholic healthcare, help this vulnerable and poor and often forgotten parts of our society seems to be a real central moment for us to, to take exactly. on that call. Exactly. And we are not the only ones. We just look around um, at other groups, different religious traditions, different nonprofits who are trying to do similar work. And what we're saying is we're all in this together. We're trying to improve our communities and we do it from different points of view, but we're all trying to serve our communities, whether it's with healthcare or social services or whatever, we join in that work together. Jack, I have one last question and thank you for being with us. And it really involves what you spoke about on our first episode, which had to do with listening. Last night, there was an article in the New York Times by a doctor, I believe it was Connell, and he has spent his life uh, taking care of the homeless in Boston. He said that the number one thing he has learned as a physician, Harvard trained mass general was to listen. Yeah. Jack, who has been the people of your life who have taught you how to listen and how can we be better listeners? Well, I, I really think that uh, I was taught by sis the sisters of Providence growing up. Um, I'm not sure I learned that when I was in grade school and high school, but Certainly, as I began to work with the sisters, they were models to me. And I, I learned that from my family as well, particularly my mother. Um, I think that's something else, be gender specific here. Many males, me included, tend to work with our heads first. 
And um, I learned from the sisters, if you're going to listen, you got to learn to listen with not just with your head, but with your heart. And the sisters were uh, were very helpful to me in just sitting, listening, being quiet, and trying to absorb not just what the words are, but what's the music. And I think that's that's what we that's what we need to do is to listen not just to the words, but what's the music there? What's the spirit? What's the heart behind them? What are people trying to convey? That deep listening is essential for an effective leader. Jack, I think we all go out and find our walk-up song. And and you have given us that sense of a deep understanding of how words might need to be moving into some symphony. And maybe that's what we're all building is this symphony of healthcare as we look at those who are poor and vulnerable. It's a great metaphor. We're trying to trying to make a symphony. Wonderful. Well, Jack, I look forward to continuing to work with you and in, in shaping uh, how we see this moving forward. But again, I can't thank you enough for being with us today, Jack. Martin, it's been a pleasure to be with you and uh, best wishes in uh, your important work. I want to thank Jack for joining us and to everyone for listening. To learn more about Jack's recent article, you can search for Maintaining Identity and Inclusivity in Catholic Healthcare at www.chausa.org. You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn.